Welcome to We Fight For That from the Public Interest Advocacy Centre. My name is John Lawford and I'm the Executive Director and General Counsel at PIAC. If you want lower cell phone bills, if you want a refund from a flight you couldn't take, or if you want to be treated better by your bank, we fight for that. Time for another round of consumer protection. So welcome to episode 23 of We Fight For That. And today we are discussing a bit of a controversy once again at the CRTC, and this time involving a broadcasting decision. And it is going to be uh, with a guest. And today's guest is, uh, I guess, for the third time, Monica Auer from uh, Forum for Research and Policy and Communications. And uh, thank you again, Monica, for coming to help us with this, uh, this tough nut today. Thank you so much for inviting me to participate. I appreciate it. The issue we're talking about today is the decision of the CRTC on the complaint from Mr. Lemour in Montreal about the use of the N-word in a French um, radio show, Cannes Dizuit, which runs at the end of the day, as the name implies, on the radio service in Montreal. And uh, the decision came out just uh, a few days ago and has already probably unfortunately kicked up a lot of uh, controversy, partly because of the subject matter and partly because of the reaction from uh, various parties, including presenters at uh, Radio Canada and uh, CBC, as well as politicians, notably from the Quebec government, who uh, tweeted things like, well, where is the appeal? Um, that's sort of the the reason why we're going to be discussing it today, we're we're going to be discussing what the CRTC's decision uh, rests on and how it works procedurally, as well as the basis upon which it was made. Uh, and I want to say just right off the bat that if anyone's offended by the subject matter or thinks that it's going to be inappropriate, then uh, you know please skip this one. But we are going to be discussing the law and, and the structuring of the decision, not so much the um, issue at hand. We also do acknowledge that both of us are two white people who are going to be discussing this, and we're both lawyers, so we don't have a perspective that uh, really, um, we can't really bring up a systemic racism uh, perspective to the discussion other than you know our secondhand knowledge, so to speak. Also, in discussing the procedure and the maybe defects of the, the undergirding uh, of the law of the decision, we're not trying to collaterally attack the result, but rather point out that the result, such as it is, is difficult to work with. I think that's the fair way to put it. And, and Monica and I have been discussing this offline, and uh, we believe it's important for the public to know how the decision is structured and what it says about the CRTC as much as, as the issue itself. I think that's fair, right, Monica? Yes, I agree with you. Okay, well, we're going to be... Um, kicking off on a number of subjects i'm just going to set the table a little bit more as the uh the decision itself is in the majority it's a three two so there were two dissents and um there was uh there was uh the vice chair of broadcasting in the dissent as well as another member and the three uh, the three other people we don't know the names of and that's part of this whole whole thing so i'm going to pass it over to you monica to to number the decision because i forget off the top of my head what number it is i think it's 175 from this year and let you describe the two holdings if you could and then what what issues you wanted to to bring to it and then if you don't mind i'd like to go back and 
say a few words about the actual complaint that led to it. So maybe you can tell us what decision we're talking about and, and what it held. What the CRTC issued on June 29th is called Broadcasting Decision CRTC 2022-175. This document describes uh, a complaint that was received both by the CRTC and the CBC regarding a program, a news, um, an, an analysis program rather than a news program. Um, and it was a discussion program with the host and one or two other participants discussing a book and the book is well known the words in the in the title are offensive to many people and so the commission essentially scolds the cbc's response to the complaint that the cbc had received it says that the crt the cbc's ombudsperson who also addressed the complaint did not approach it properly. And therefore, the commission says in this document that it is requiring the CBC to take several steps and that it expects the CBC to take those steps. Now, to put this document in chronological context, the CBC had applied in 2019 to renew its broadcasting licenses. The CBC and the CRTC then received this complaint the following year while the CRTC renewal process was still underway. Due to the pandemic, the CRTC public hearing on the CBC's renewal was postponed until January 2021. At no time from the time the Commission received the complaint to the time that it issued this document on June 29th, did it raise the substance of the complaint with the CBC in the renewal process? Mm -hmm. I raise this point because the CRTC has issued a number of decisions over the last 50 years of its existence in which it deals with offensive comment broadcast by licensees. It has a process for doing this. And the main part of the process is to use the renewal to evaluate broadcasters' performance. And yet in this case, the CRTC chose not to raise a serious issue at the renewal hearing. And I might add, even after the complainant and several others had asked the CRTC to place the matter on that hearing agenda, Instead, the CRTC waited a week after it had already issued the renewal hearing in a decision that does not mention the complaint. And then in this Dash 175 document, it states it requires this, it requires that, and it expects this and expects that. And my problem is that the CRTC has no legal authority to actually require or expect anything. It has the legal authority to determine whether the CBC has breached its regulations, has breached conditions of license, and if it has breached conditions of license or has breached a regulation, the CRTC is empowered to take steps. In other words, once the CBC's licenses were renewed on June 22nd, the CRTC could no longer impose any new actual legal 
duties on the CBC. So the interesting thing and the surprising thing is given the seriousness of this issue to the CRTC is that it chose to issue a document that actually has no binding weight. Because if, hypothetically, a broadcaster chose to ignore a document that simply said, we require you to do something or we expect you to do something, those decisions not to meet a requirement or an expectation are not, under the Broadcasting Act, regulatory breaches that the CRTC can punish. That is a bit of a hard concept, maybe for non-lawyers to grasp, is that isn't CRTC basically in charge of all broadcasting in Canada and in particular the CBC because, you know, CBC is sort of the sine qua non of the whole Canadian broadcasting system. So I think to a layperson to say this body, which is in charge of this sector, can't tell the CBC what to do, um, I follow. But I, I think maybe what, what you're saying is they had the proper forum the, the license hearing we talked about to bring this up and to, to um, attach conditions to fix the problem if there was one during that period. And that's the appropriate time to do it. Um, and then once you've given the license to somebody, you can't say, oh, and now there's these other things because you're supposed to have done it during the license hearing. Is that right? That's absolutely right. And in fact, Parliament made this very clear in the Broadcasting Act. It actually says that once the CRTC has issued a license or renewed a license, it cannot itself change any of those conditions in the license until five years later. So right. by issuing the renewal license on June 22nd, 2022, the CRTC cannot arbitrarily change those conditions until 2027. It bound itself. So it's kind of a mystery on the one hand. Why would you not deal with this issue in the proper form, which is the renewal process when Canadians are, have, have taken the time to comment, to express their views on the CBC's performance, when the complainant, in fact, asked the CRTC to place the document on the public record, and the CRTC appears to have said, oh, yes, we certainly will think about this issue. And yet, it did not mention it in the renewal decision. And to go to the issue of, well, surely just when the CRTC says it requires us to do something, that's sufficient. And you're right in that it, it sounds a bit technical, but it's a little like, um, suppose a police officer stops you on the street and says, I'd really like it if you turned a somersault. <laughs> well, a police officer might well like that, but this, but but as we can all guess, there is no power under Canada's criminal code to allow a police officer to just randomly order anyone to do anything at any time. For that, that power doesn't exist. Parliament protects Canadians through its laws, and in the case of the Broadcasting Act, it protects people by saying, here are your powers, CRTC, exercise those. I might add, in fact, that in the case of this specific document, the, the June 29th-175 document, it's really quite striking that while 
the commission says that the program did not meet the Broadcasting Act's high standards, and that's a very serious matter. It did not then say how the CRTC's regulations, which are the things that the CRTC must use in a way to concretize the act, it did not say that the CBC had breached the regulations' prohibitions on abusive or offensive content. And in fact, there are a number of regulations. And in the past, the CRTC has actually denied broadcasters' requests to renew their licenses specifically because they had breached the regulations on abusive content or offensive content. This, mm-hmm. in other words, is not the CRTC's first rodeo in terms of dealing with this matter. And so the way in which it has dealt with it does not look like a quote-unquote decision. And that has implications for the CBC and for Canadians. Well, this is the thing. I I think it might be news to the Quebec culture minister or whoever it was who was commenting on, on this decision that there actually is no way to appeal this thing because if there's no decision, there's nothing to appeal. I, I'm referring to the tweet saying, well, what what's the appeal plans for this thing? I think I, what I hear you saying is you can't appeal this because it's not actually a decision. It's kind of an encouragement to to CBC to, and and I'll I'll make clear that the the decision, that's what it's called, says there should be an apology, I think on air as well as to the complainant and um, a report given in, Jan- in January, excuse me, in September to, to outline how Radio Canada is going to deal with systemic racism and uh, how they're going to avoid this situation in the future. So basically the bad news for those that wish to have a another level look at this is there's nothing they can do. Is that right? Well, I think that Many people have expressed their concern in writing and to perhaps their elected representatives or, you know, to a number. They've set it out in, in, in editorials and opinions, and those are all very good avenues to express their concern with this document. The point is, though, that in the document, the CRTC does not actually exercise its powers, and it has important powers. For instance, if it found that the CBC had breached a regulation by by broadcasting abusive or offensive content, it could have said in the renewal decision or even in this document, you are in breach of of the radio regulations 1986 section three, you're in breach. And the consequence is that under the Broadcasting Act, it is an offense that's punishable on summary conviction and fines of up to $250,000 can be levied for a breach of a regulation. So to not say that the CBC had breached a regulation while claiming simultaneously that it had breached the act is in a way a little odd. If CBC has behaved that badly and the commission really believed that, it should explain which regulations were breached. And because it chose not to deal with this matter in the license renewal where it could have, for instance, issued a short-term renewal, and bear in mind that that has been the traditional approach for abusive content for decades. In the case Mm -hmm. of Schwa FM, a radio station in uh, Quebec City, whose whose license the CRTC declined to renew because of offensive content. 
that broadcaster had received several consecutive short-term renewals. Here, the CBC just finished giving CBC a five-year renewal, and then it turns around and asks to do something that it has no power to seek. Yeah, it sounds like a very political type of maneuver rather than a you know a more legal one. We were in the we meaning uh, the Public Interest Advocacy Center and. Um, as well as National Pensioners Federation made submissions during the CBC hearing, which took, as you know, <laughs> uh, two years uh, plus to uh, to happen. I mean, the entire written part as well as the oral hearing and then the eventual decision. And um, if this had been brought up, like we, we also didn't know this was going on. Now, I, I have to admit, I didn't read all of the ombudsperson's decisions on both Radio Canada and CBC before this. So per, perhaps I, I would have seen the short summary that was on or the lengthy summary that was on the, uh, the, the Radio Canada ombudsman's page, but I couldn't find any reference to the complaint going through the CR, CRTC system at all, you know, as an organization that kind of does this all the time during this. So we, we missed an opportunity to speak to it during the license renewal. And we missed an opportunity to speak to it as a separate matter. And then all of a sudden this thing comes out. And as you say, very oddly timed so that there's no actual real consequences to the CBC. I mean, they can do the apology and they can write the report if they feel like it, but if they don't, they don't have to. I mean, that seems to be the result, um, which is a very political seeming uh, maneuver. It, I mean, it's the only way I can really put it. That's the way it strikes me, and and certainly seems very disappointing not to have a chance for the CRTC to have varying views. Because obviously, you know, the the complainant um, brought brought his case forward, and you know, we didn't get a chance to comment on it. Neither did you guys. No, neither did the general public. And CBC management didn't have to answer for it in a public forum, but rather through this ombudsman thing. With your permission, I'll I'll go back and I'll just lay out a few things from the complaint because we we do have it. If I could just mention one thing. And that is uh, when when you mentioned that you had missed the complaint. Well, I went back and I checked because I had read all of the submissions from the commission to the CBC. I read the application, which was thousands of pages backwards and forwards. I read all the questions to the CBC from the CRTC. In other words, like you, we read the, the file. I should also point out one other key point, and that is that when the CRTC renews licenses, mm -hmm. it can do so in a number of matter. If it thinks that the broadcaster has met all the regulations, has no problems, is being a reasonable performer, it issues a notice of consultation, invites the public to comment, says, we don't think there are any issues, but if you have concerns, please let us know. But when it has received serious complaints about a broadcaster, it generally lists those complaints in the notice inviting the public's views. In mm -hmm. other words, for Schwa FM, it would say, we have concerns. We have serious concerns because we have heard the following. And therefore, we require the broadcaster or the licensee, in this case would be the CBC, we require the CBC to be prepared to respond to those issues at the hearing. So we did not miss the opportunity to address our concerns to this issue, we were denied the opportunity by the notice of consultation of the CRTC. And when the CRTC was holding its public hearing, and perhaps you may recall this, normally 
And again, it sounds technical, but every time a key issue arises that isn't in the first notice of consultation, the CRTC mm -hmm. is free to issue another follow-up notice. And I think in the CBC hearing, it issued nine separate follow-ups over time because of the pandemic, this, that, and the other thing. At any point, it could have put out a notice raising this as a concern and saying, we intend to address this at the hearing. And the result is, and I don't know if I've really explained it, is that because the CRTC in this Dash 175 document does not exercise its legal authority, let's say, to issue, to try and call it a hearing so that it can issue a mandatory order, to call a hearing to discuss the matter, or to allege that CBC had breached a regulation and therefore could be prosecuted, since it doesn't address any of those specific legal authority or powers that it has under the Broadcasting Act, what would you tell the Federal Court of Appeal, or what would you ask the Federal Court of Appeal to do? Or cabinet for that way. Well, you can't even address this as a cabinet decision because this is not a licensing matter. This is simply a document that's been issued under the title decision. And the Federal Court of Appeal might look at this and say, what specific thing is it that you want us to change? Because you, you aren't being accused of anything. You aren't being told to do something as a mandatory order. What is it here that can be appealed? And the answer is, it's cloudy. It's like grasping the cloud. Hmm. Well, seems all very, very odd. And I do want to um, come back to this, but but let me do a detour into the original complaint because I did read it. Uh, it's in French, and um, or at least the ombuds. Uh, person's decision from the Radio Canada side. And um, I guess I shouldn't comment on it, but I will tell a story of my own, not that it's equivalent to the to how serious this issue is, but I did make a complaint myself, for example, to CBC during the election about some election coverage. And uh, I got a bit of a schooling in how the CBC ombudsman, at least on the English side, works. And uh, for for listeners, I think this is important context for the whole procedural discussion. When you make a complaint to CBC or I presume also Radio Canada, it comes into the ombudsperson who then forwards it immediately to management for a comment. Um, I don't know what sort of discussions go on between management and the ombudsperson, but probably internal emails um, and or uh, walking down the hall to talk to them or whatever the equivalent is these days. And then the ombudsperson will send back management's response verbatim or whatever pieces they decide to clip off and they send it to the complainant saying, here's what management thought with no commentary. And it's kind of, it's kind of intimidating as a complainant because you, you complain and you complain to the ombuds person who then says, Oh yeah, I just passed it on to management all here in a minute. And then sure enough, they come back a day later or whatever with management's lengthy email or not. And more often than not, of course, management thinks they're fine because management already made the decision that, to do what they did. And, and that's where it kind of falls. And the ombudsman says, well, here's the answer. And you have to really be on the ball to realize as Mr. Lamour did that you don't have to take that answer. <laughs> and I just got fed up. I just thought, oh, well, I guess they, you know, is there any point in trying to fight this any harder? I, I just said, I don't agree with you. And I let it drop, but Mr. Lamour figured out you, you have to say, no, that's not good enough. And honestly, um, when I read the, the original complaint, I think he maybe had more grounds than, than I had been led to believe by some of the news stories. Um, 
you have to push it forward. And it is a little intimidating to do this complaint process because it's not terribly clear from the, the CBC slash Radio Canada's materials regarding the ombudsman what the procedure is going to be for the complainant and what you have to do to move it forward. So I just wanted to put that out there as, you know, the effort that the complainant also had to make here was, you know, a, a pretty good one. And and perhaps the CBC ombudsperson's procedures are not super friendly to listeners. Now, I know they're dealing with a high volume of complaints and, and they have a complicated rule book to, to apply, but still, it, it is intimidating. So I just wanted to put that in there as context as well for this procedural discussion. Now, I, I know you had some other points. Yeah, one other thing that you said just about the no, um, no ability to petition this um, uh, decision to cabinet to reconsider. Um, in telecom and broadcasting, there's often a way to ask the federal government to intervene on decisions in a political way if you, if you don't agree with them. And these are called petitions to cabinet. Uh, and w- this just recently happened to PIAC as well and the National Pensioners Federation where we asked to, uh, under a petition to to uh, stop the broadcasting transfer of assets between Roger, Sean Rogers. And, um, you know, that that was a similar type situation where the answer we got back was there was no license renewal or amendment in the technical proceeding that, you know, we were in with Rogers and Shaw shuffling assets back and forth. That later when the, when the license was, you know, actually physically or electronically um, transferred some months later with a different CRDC decision, then we could bring it up. But then by then, of course, it's going to be moot. This is sort of a similar situation, isn't it? In the sense that there's no license renewal here because the CRTC gave it the week before. And now this could have been part of that, but in a way you can't use the petition for this part of the CBC decision. You'd have to go back and challenge the CBC decision with a petition without this being part of it, I guess. You're quite right. There are two routes under the Broadcasting Act for appealing something called a CRTC decision. And I put it that way because it is not entirely clear what a decision is. The Broadcasting Act does not define decision, but as you know, John, the Telecom Act does define decision. So that is a little bit of a problem. And there is different uh, different courts have viewed this differently. For instance, one provincial court said that a regulatory policy is in fact a decision. And then another one said, well, it says it's a regulatory policy, so therefore clearly it is not a decision. And in the case of Rogers, the interesting thing was that something was happening. There was an application by Rogers with respect to Shaw. And in fact, the CRTC said that it was approving parts of that application, but then it did not actually issue the specific decision required by Shaw in order to take actual control of the license, the broadcasting licenses held by Shaw. So there are these very weird things, but the law is very precise. And when it comes to appeals, the Broadcasting Act says that if you would like to challenge um, a decision to renew or issue or anything else, a license you can send a petition to cabinet and let the government know. And the cabinet or the government then has some powers that it can use to ask the CRTC to reconsider. It has done that several times in the past, a number of times in the past. 
And a second power, which is what would might think of as the less political route, is to go to the Federal Court of Appeal and argue that a decision or order, and those are the two words that are in that particular part of the act, are incorrect or flawed because of a matter of law or of jurisdiction. So a jurisdictional issue might be an easy one. So say the CRTC decided to issue a decision requiring free lollipops on Canada Day. Well, unfortunately, the Broadcasting Act doesn't give the CRTC any authority to make orders about lollipops, their price, or you know the celebration of holidays. <laughs> Clearly outside of its jurisdiction. Another type of example would be, for instance, if the CRTC decided to say, hypothetically, um, Netflix, we love what you're doing and we're giving you a broadcasting license effective today forthwith. Mm-hmm. However, there is a direction from cabinet in place that prohibits the CRTC from granting broadcasting licenses to non-Canadian companies. So that would be a clear question of law. Is the CRTC lawfully empowered to issue a license when it is told by cabinet, in fact, directed by cabinet, not to issue licenses to non-Canadians? So that would be an example of a question of law. And in this particular matter, this particular document does not do anything. And I hate to keep hammering that word because it sounds so technical, legal. The commission doesn't say anything about the CBC's licenses in this document. so. Even if you wanted to take it to cabinet, there's nothing to petition there with respect to licensing. And as for a question of law, what you would be saying is the CRTC is not properly using its lawful powers. And so then what? You know, would you would you ask the federal court to declare that this is not a decision when it says it's a decision? Well, yes. And you might then ask them to send it back and and uh, require the CRTC to to decide on matters within their jurisdiction on this. Now we're getting into deep, deep administrative law territory, but that's awkward. And I don't want to I don't want to keep running over you while you're talking. And I know it's important, but I did want to say this is the first time the commission has issued documents that look like they're a decision. They talk like they're a decision. They appear to have some decision making consequences. And in fact, they are not decisions at all. Commission has done this in 2000. It did it in 2008. It did it in 2020 with respect to the tandem issue. The CRTC is developing pattern of acting, of signaling its interest in an issue without then actually following through with its legal powers. It leaves the recipient with the impression that the CRTC has taken its concerns seriously, has acted, and that the problem has been addressed when in fact, as a matter of law, nothing has happened. Yeah, that's that's important, I think, for this issue because both sides are actually going to be unable to change the behavior of the CBC with this quote-unquote decision either way, either to make it stick to stop them, honestly, from continuing to have this word used on the air or to say, no, it's fine in X, Y, and Z context to have it said on air. Because as you say, it's not really a decision. And and that that's taking away from, from either position uh, an ability to, quote unquote, enforce this thing or, or affect the behavior of the CBC. I want you to go back, actually, 
if you don't mind, to give a little bit more airtime to the tandem, <laughs> the whole tandem thing, because it's not that dissimilar. And I think that it's instructive to folks to go into what happened with tandem uh, during the CBC hearing and the somewhat surprising result from the, from the CRTC and the CBC licensing decision from last week that tandem is just, you know, just fine. So I wonder if you could tell us procedurally what was weird about the whole tandem business. So as I had said before, the renewal process for the corporation, and this is always a huge endeavor for the CRTC. It's not some, oh, well, let's just issue, you know, a couple of pages. This particular renewal decision, which goes in detail about the CBC's performance and what steps it should be taking, is, is a couple of hundred pages long. It's thick. It's the whole process for the CBC and the CRTC began in 2019. And the CRTC published the CBC's applications in the fall of 2019. And then, of course, global pandemic in early 2020. And so the CRTC postponed the hearing that was scheduled for that year. However, in fall 2020, there were newspaper reports about a brand new initiative being announced by the corporation called Tandem. And the Tandem initiative was one in which the CBC would sell to advertisers or others the opportunity to have a program broadcast that they would create, they would offer their editorial content. They would, in other words, have what you might call a very lengthy 30-minute advertisement, which was not described or entitled as an advertisement. Mm -hmm. We call that branded content so that CBC would be asked to produce it or it might simply receive the content and then it would broadcast it on its service. And the issue is that for many people, it would resemble news or information programming. They might believe that this is not an ad which is what it is because it's being purchased by another entity, but rather it's actually a program of the corporation. And so a number of former uh, CBC uh, journalists expressed their serious concern. They wrote the CRTC and they asked the commission to please, uh, in November, they, they wrote to them and they formally asked the CBC in mid-November 2020 to change the procedure of the hearing that was coming to add branded content in tandem to the hearing agenda. So what happened? When you file a, a, a procedural request to the CRTC, you're entitled to a couple of things, I should think, and that is, and I think it because these are in the rules of practice and procedure, you're entitled to at least have your request acknowledged. That would be reasonable. And then you're entitled to a decision from the commission, because you're asking the commission to exercise its powers over the hearing agenda. And instead, the tandem folks heard back from the secretary general in an email, which and it was a very, you know, my impression was it was a very friendly email and said, hi, how are you? Thanks so much. This is a very important issue and uh, we'll keep it in mind. And so the tandem people were surprised by that because it didn't appear to be actually a document or decision from the commission. And so they wrote back and they said, hey, thanks so much for your email, but um, you haven't posted our request on your CBC page for the hearing. 
And we think you should post it. So please post it so that other people know what we're doing and perhaps they could comment. Nothing happened. The commission didn't post it. They wrote a third time to the secretary general saying, we still have not received the CRTC's consideration of our procedural request. And that's the important thing. They wrote asking for the CRTC to take steps. And all they got was correspondence from the secretary general, who is not at that time empowered to issue a decision. Finally, my understanding is that a letter that the group wrote to the Minister of Canadian Heritage to say, uh, Minister, we understand you have some authority with respect to the CRTC. Could you could you please instruct the CRTC to exercise its rules properly and to post our procedural request and to reply to our procedural request? And then a week later, again, uh, as I understand it, no response from the minister, but suddenly out of the blue a week later, the CRTC formally replied and said, yes, we will We will uh, put the issue on the agenda. You are not allowed to file an intervention or to, uh, or to appear, but the issue is there now. And so perhaps other interveners will raise it. And that's what happened. But right. it took a huge effort to try to get a very important issue on the agenda. And the question is why? Well, this is this is the thing. I mean, in that case, it kind of appears that CRTC was finally painted into a corner where they had to add it to the uh, public hearing. But um, the particular issue we're dealing with today, you know, uh, certainly um, a very serious issue. Obviously, it's one that matters to a lot of people. Didn't get that treatment, possibly because it was just framed as a single person's complaint rather than the larger issue that I think it is. But the the instructiveness of the tandem situation was, you know, in, in that one, which was also obviously a matter of controversy, the first attempt appears to have been to try to, I'll put it this way, sweep it under the rug, like not deal with it in the, in the license hearing. And um, various procedural, as you say, sort of things that look kind of like the CRTC is doing something, but that have no legal effect, um, you know, like the Secretary General writing you a nice letter or saying, uh, we're going to consider your concerns as part of the overall context of the hearing when, you know, those concerns haven't actually been, for example, written up in a form that is on the record or that is turned around on CBC in the form of questions, either at the oral hearing or in written questions, because my understanding is during a license hearing, the CRTC can turn around and ask questions to the applicant if they come up during the hearing is that right like written ones um yes sometimes the 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 crtc is a quasi-judicial tribunal so that its hearings sometimes look a little court-like but uh, the commission has abandoned the practice of cross-examination between itself and interveners so you have commissioners asking questions and you'll have legal counsel of the crtc following up with details the commission is free to raise everything, but suppose out of the blue it raised an issue that the licensee um, was unaware of as being important, and so the licensee had no clear opportunity to prepare. That would be considered um, unreasonable and somewhat unfair. It has happened in the past. The commission has said, if you'd like to respond in writing, that would be fine. We'll hear from you. The difficulty is when you raise a brand new issue out of the blue at the hearing, interveners are similarly unprepared. So yeah. the step that the tandem folks took, I think, was the appropriate one. They knew that the hearing was had not yet, you know, wasn't going to take place until January, the following January. So they properly asked 
for the commission to ensure that, you know, to grant their request that it be added to the agenda. And the addition of the issue to the agenda would therefore normally require the CRTC to issue a revised notice of consultation so that people who are following the process would now be aware formally that there was this brand new issue. Right. And then they, if they wish, could address it. And then everybody would be notified and it makes the process fairer for all involved. But for this particular matter, the complaint we're talking about, the 175 complaint, dash 175, here's, here's the problem. As I said before, the only time the commission can issue really conditions of license is either at the renewal hearing or when it issues a license or five years afterwards, or if the licensee asks for a condition of license. And surprisingly, many licensees will be reluctant to ask to be penalized with more work. So they tend not to say, hey, make us do more work through a condition of license. So you can see why the commission has to be very careful about when it asks for conditions of license. But in this case, suppose that the commission had raised this matter at the, at the renewal hearing and had then determined that the corporation had not just breached the act, but specifically a condition of its license or and or the CRTC's regulations. In that case, if it believes that and finds that to be the case, the Broadcasting Act then requires the CRTC to submit a written report to the Minister of Canadian Heritage so that the minister is aware that the Crown Corporation is in breach of the broadcasting requirements. And also then the minister is required to lay that report before Parliament so that Parliament is aware that the public broadcaster is in breach. Now, it didn't deal with that issue at this renewal hearing, so no report is required. But I should mention that the CRTC has found the CBC in breach of the CRTC's regulations or the CRTC's conditions on CBC's licenses at least twice in the past, mm -hmm. in 2000 and in 2013, in renewal decisions. And when the commission was asked, using the Access to Information Act, for a copy of the report that it sent to the minister about these breaches, the CRTC replied that it had no such copies. Interesting wording that we have no such copies. They didn't say we didn't do them. That's not what the Access to Information Act allows <laughs> you to do. It just says True. you're allowed to ask for documents held by the commission. I would have thought considering that the renewal of the CBC in 2013 is not that long ago. It might have retained a copy for its own records. <laughs> I mean, when the federally funded broadcaster is found to have breached the rules of the Broadcasting Act, that's a serious matter, and they should keep hmm. a copy. And yet there was no copy. So well, this, this decision then does not trigger that. No, because they did not consider it at the renewal. Right. What it what and that's why what what is this? If if the Dash 175 document had said the CBC is in breach of the regulations, the C Department of Justice could prosecute the corporation. And if they were convicted of the offense, they could be fined up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Right. So that's not going to happen here um, mm -hmm. unless there's a lot of work to bring it back before the CRTC and and have them decided on the basis of. I guess the radio regulations or reopen the licensing thing for that. It sounds like an impossible situation and it's probably not going to change. So I guess 
you know, this, the larger context of this thing, the, the, the small context, which isn't small, is that I can't see this, this decision being able to either be enforced or appealed or petitioned. It, it is what it is. We seem to have something of a vindication for the complainant, but it's being collaterally attacked in many other places. And who knows what will be the outcome of public, not public, you know, outcry of certain people in, in Radio Canada or wherever. That's uncertain. And yet, there's, I don't think there's any guarantee that this decision, despite the report and the request for an apology, necessarily means it won't happen again, even given the holding, because as you're saying, it's not really enforceable in, in any way. Um, it's sort of like everybody's going to be unhappy with this, no matter which way we turn. And that's not good considering that the substantive issue is hard enough on its own, right? I mean, this is systemic racism and what is society going to do about it in its in its major institutions, right? And the people that run the places, how are they going to address it and you know what steps can be taken to um to 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 counter it. One thing I think we haven't raised in the sort of larger human consideration of this issue is often brought up and it was in some commentary and I believe in the dissents is the issue of freedom of expression. And I don't really want to say, you know, was this freedom of expression or not and, and go into the substantive issue, but I do want to ask you if I've got this right. I think there's a general impression in the Canadian public that the CRTC can't regulate speech that's delivered over its licensees. And I think, there's this general impression, probably because we're next door to uh, a country with a First Amendment and very aggressive, let's just call it prosecution of the First Amendment rights. We don't have that in Canada. We have freedom of expression in the Charter, but it's limited by Section 1 and, and uh, maybe maybe the notwithstanding clause if, you're, if your provincial or federal government is, is going to go that way. But it is the case, and there is a specific section, is there not in part of Section 3 that says... Yes, CRTC, you are charged with keeping an eye on, um, if you will, what's proper content for the airwaves. That's right, right? Yes, there's a provision that, first of all, holds broadcasters responsible for the content they broadcast, and one that then also addresses programming of high standard. Okay. And the high standard provision has been typically used to... It's been interpreted through the CRTC's regulations as saying, for instance, uh, it prohibits the broadcast of false news. It prohibits the broadcast of abusive content. It prohibits the broadcast of content that would bring individuals or groups into disrespect on the basis of the charter groups, gender, creed, race, color. Etc. I've got a whole section of my uh, broadcasting book here. Sorry, just to just to chime in for people, I'll list them all. List them all off. Um, there is the Alcoholic Beverages Code, which is based on this. I understand the CBC guidelines for sex role portrayal, the Equitable Portrayal Code, the um, uh, Gender Portrayal Guidelines, the um, Broadcast Code for Advertising to Children. 
all these things, the violence, the Canadian Association of Broadcasters Violence Code, these are all things that are, if you will, intrusion on pure free expression that the CRTC has rules on and deals with every day, including special rules for CBC. So I just wanted to say there's maybe a perception out there that the CRTC somehow is invalidated or is doing something wrong when they talk about quote unquote regulating speech. But when they're when they're speaking to a broadcaster, they do have the right, at least under this legislation, and these codes are expressions of that. Is that right? Well, the short three-letter answer is yes. Okay. And now let me add some context. Please. And the context is that the particular requirement under the Broadcasting Act says that, it says this under 3.1.G, the programming that is carried should be of high standard. And that word should has meaning because elsewhere in the act, the commission says that certain things shall happen. So when parliament uses the word should, it grants the CRTC a little bit more discretion than the use of the word shall. In other words, if I were to say to one of my adult children, and of course I can't say that, you shall clean your house has a completely different meaning then you really should clean your house. So to to begin with this, the notion is that yes, Parliament has given the CRTC the discretion to determine and consider whether programming is of high standard. Second, why would there is that general policy notion, but what about freedom of expression? And freedom of expression does exist in Canada. We we have it from the 1982 charter. And we also have the the sort of safeguard provision, if you will, that says, yes, all of these rights are subject to reasonable limits. And so you have to defend a limit and and determine that it is, in fact, reasonable. And the Supreme Court of Canada has dealt with that many, many, many times. Mm -hmm. And one popular example of why we have to have limits and that it is reasonable to have limits is the idea that if you're in a crowded venue, somebody begins screaming fire just for the sheer fun of seeing people panic and get trampled to death, which has happened. We consider that an unreasonable exercise of freedom of expression. Right. But that one uh, is also accepted even in a very high tolerance for freedom of expression. Like, I mean, that's a limit even in the United States. But but we have more fine-grained ones like those codes I've just said that actually specify for broadcasters what, yeah, what you can do as a certain type of broadcaster, right? Well, and there are two reasons. Uh, Well, there are actually a number of reasons. One particular reason, for instance, is that uh, there's the common expression that if you want to buy a printing press and print whatever you like, you can, subject to the criminal code laws of, you know, say, defamation, libel, et cetera. But if if you choose to present your point of view, go fly at her. And unless you break the criminal code, nobody's going to stop you. But in this case, broadcasters, conventional broadcasters certainly are using publicly owned broadcast spectrum. And so the theory is use it appropriately. If there are limited broadcasting frequencies available, make sure that they are used to the best in the best possible way by informing, enlightening, and entertaining people, not abusing people. That's one issue. A second issue is that When you go into a bookstore, you can see book titles, or if you're going to a newspaper stand, to the extent that they still exist, you can see generally what you're buying, and you have a general understanding of what you might be getting into if you open it up. 
And at least if you open it up and you see an image you don't like, you can quickly close it. But sometimes if you have a radio on or a TV on in your house or any other medium of reception, like a computer screen, you suddenly start hearing things that you can't unhear. And to those who would say, well, what I hear has nothing to do with what I do. You know, advertisers spend billions and billions of dollars on broadcast advertising because it has an effect on people's behavior. There have been horrific instances of the misuse of broadcasting that have led to thousands of deaths in Rwanda. Broadcasts took place in Rwanda and thousands of people died when the majority of the population was in, exhorted to kill people. And a very famous example of fiction in, in radio was in the 1930s when Orson Welles broadcast the first radio version of War of the Worlds. And unfortunately, it was so realistic that hundreds of thousands of people tried to evacuate large cities. Women miscarried and had to be hospitalized, all because they were not sufficiently warned that what they were hearing was entertainment. It wasn't really news. They even used the voice of the president. So yeah. these broadcasts matter and they have an effect. Yeah, this this is this is the thing I think that the complainant is saying in this case is that from uh, the complainant's point of view and, and perhaps quite a few other people just mouthing the word that's at issue here is offensive and helps build up more systemic racism or or excuse it and and uh you know there were other various parts of his complaint that made it resonate even more with him um it's the same thing it's it, if you hear it it can cause harm and the question really then is yeah what are the standards and there are in the radio regulations there's an expression of what's permissible and in the license hearing, these considerations like you're bringing up, like what is high quality, what is expected of a national public broadcaster, right? Both trying to work in English and French and trying to work, you know, in a country that's multicultural and given systemic racism we all know exists and given the charter and, 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 you know, like all of that stuff should be considered. And it's just really unfortunate. It wasn't in this case. It seems to have been procedurally um, put in a box where no one can use this thing. And and yet everybody can continue to fight about it. And I just find it really, really unfortunate the way it's it's come out. As I mentioned, the commission has had to deal with audience concerns about broadcast programming since 1968 when it was created. And as I said, also, it has generally, it has almost always dealt with that issue or these issues, these concerns in the context of a public hearing so that it could give the licensee the opportunity to respond and also then give parties, other parties, the right to reply. Yeah. In the Schwa case, the Schwa FM case, the licensee had been called to a renewal hearing after at least 10 years of complaints, serious complaints about the quality of broadcast programming. And in one of the programs that led to the, the last renewal in which the licenses were not renewed, the one of the programs broadcast said that disabled people should be euthanized. And he said it in a much more ugly and vulgar fashion than that. And it was extremely upsetting, as you can imagine. There was no context. It was just a casual, offhand, flippant remark. And the program in a later segment also exhorted audiences 
to steal satellite signals on the grounds that satellite companies were tremendously wealthy and they charged prices that were too high. And so go out and steal. Well, number one, it's an offense under the criminal code to exhort criminal conduct or criminal behavior. And number two, surely to suggest what what the broadcast program host suggested is completely out of the norm just to try to raise ratings. In this particular case, the 175 document, I understand the complainant's concern from the limited extract that has been made available through the SRC Ombudsman summary and analysis. The question is whether the context of the concern is the same. You have a radio station that's trying to maximize its ratings and you have the CBC. I don't know if the two cases are entirely comparable and I understand I understand the complainant's concern. The problem is the CRTC could have and should have dealt with this in a far more uh, appropriate manner using the very tools it has been given to do so. If it chose not to deal with this matter at the public hearing, and this would have been precisely the time because here the CBC is going to be launching many new online services where similar issues might well arise, particularly with the idea that if a program is offensive, should it not either be taken down entirely or should there be warnings? What should happen in the digital world when we have this kind of thing happening? And yet we we didn't have that opportunity. And so having chosen not to deal with it at the renewal, the CRTC still could have exercised its own authority to call a public hearing to deal with the very concept of the 21st century medium of the Internet. How do we deal with this truly offensive content? What are the tools that we should have or... You know, do we have enough of the current tools? In other words, the commission could have well held a public hearing on this matter in order to elicit the public's views and understand their concerns better. It chose not to. Instead, we're left with a document without true substance in law. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And I, I, I should say, in fairness, that the again, the, the complainant wrote to the, to the CRTC in the middle of the, uh, at some point during the, during the, the license hearing for CBC, and I, I believe when it became apparent that that their particular complaint wasn't going to be considered as part of the license renewal, and that that was batted away by the by the CRTC in a, in a sort of a anodyne looking letter. So it was missed in the license hearing, and yes, the CRTC did not start a open public process to have all these issues about free expression and um, and offensive speech uh, heard you know uh, in in the modern context if you will when it's clearly going to be an issue both for well continuing for broadcasting in the regular fashion and as you say now with these new services and I see CBC has announced they're going to have an ad supported service starting in the fall which means they've been thinking about it for some time probably during the license hearing but you know we'll never know um just wanted to, since we're getting towards the end, um, move to, is there anything we can do to to fix this situation? Um, the Broadcasting Act is being, as everybody seems to know, amended right now, and we're waiting for the Senate to come back in the fall to consider the, the bill, which is called number C-11. And um, is there any opportunity in there, Monica, to, to try to fix this 
procedural mess where we can get into these binds where there's a non-decision that kind of means one thing to one group and another thing to another thing. And we can get back to some clarity, at least in what the CRTC can and cannot do, given that, you know, it's going to be even more important now they're going to try to regulate online a little bit more actively than they have. Like, are there any things we can do to C11 to make it better and avoid this situation happening again? There are quite a few steps and a number of groups have participated in the Heritage Committee that the House of Commons and the Senate will be considering Bill C-11 this fall. Um, for instance, we've been discussing all along about the fact that there were two dissents, and we know that there would have had to have been three other commissioners in order to outvote the two dissenting commissioners. But there could have been more, and we don't know actually who was on this panel except for the two dissenting commissioners, and we don't know who selected them to be on this panel, nor do we even know if there was a panel. In other words, we don't even know how this decision, how this matter was actually proceeded with within inside the commission. And, and so one requirement, I think, is that all CRTC determinations, in other words, when it issues a notice of consultation, when it issues uh, a decision per se, or an information bulletin or whatever it issues, should be signed by those responsible for having made the determination. That way, at least you can understand who is there. Now, some people will say, well, if you let people know, then they can lobby the people who signed it. And yet, as a quasi-judicial tribunal, of course, the members of the commission are expected to behave with probity and integrity. So I don't think that that is a concern that we should we should. Um, used to dismiss the idea of signed decisions. And moreover, it's my my experience. I've often spoken with broadcasters who had very clearly learned well before the public who would be hearing a specific renewal matter or other regulatory matter, matter in broadcasting issues. They knew who the panel was well before everybody else because, hey, gossip were human. However, by published by at least explaining who has signed what, then the public is on a level play, a more level playing field with those who are regulated by the CRTC. Mm -hmm. A second thing is for Parliament to really think about what it wants the Commission to do. There are different ways to look at this, the, the regulatory policy for, for broadcasting. Section three is actually specifically called Parliament's broadcasting policy. You know, this is the broadcasting policy for Canada. Right now, it has 43 paragraphs and subparagraphs. And Bill C-11 has added another 18, which means now there are 61 different paragraphs and subparagraphs. That is a huge amount of detail. And the question is whether all of that is necessary, particularly when you think that then on top of that, cabinet is going to be issuing a very long set of directions to the CRTC. I think another step that should be taken is that the CRTC should be required to follow certain of its procedural rules. Right now, the CRTC has rules of procedure that say, for instance, that when you file an application, quote, that it shall post the application on its website. But we've learned through access to information requests that, in fact, dozens of applications go missing. They never wind up for the public to review and comment on. So the question is, how do you how do you ensure that the public's interest in actually knowing what's happening in the system 
is being met when the CRTC is apparently deciding that some people cannot be heard. There should be some mm-hmm. requirement, at least for timely decision-making. It's terrific that when uh, Rogers applied to buy Shaw, um, that application and the decision actually happened within 10 months of each other. But if you have a service, let's say like OutTV, which applied in 2019 to renew its license, here we are in 2022 and no decision on that specific application. For decades, the CRTC has said that Broadcasters are usually businesses and that businesses require certainty. And yet, unfortunately, because there's no requirement for reasonable and timely decision making, some broadcasters get past treatment and some broadcasters are left to wonder what's happening. They have no predictability and certainty. And I can't think that it is very helpful for their business model. The CRTC should be required, I think, also to regularly review all of its policies. For instance, I think today we have a clear understanding of the importance of Canada's First Nations and Indigenous peoples. And I'm going to use a word here that the CRTC has itself published, and I apologize in advance if it offends people. However, in 1990, it published a document called the Native Radio Policy. That Policy is obviously over 30 years old now, and it has never been reviewed, even to formally change its name. And yet the CRTC made promises in 2008, 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and in 2020 to review the policy. Well, it just never seems to happen. So perhaps if Parliament told the CRTC, by the way, when you enact a new policy, review it twice a decade to ensure mm-hmm. that it is keeping track with what is needed. And how, how society expresses various things, including the importance of, you know, with the wording of the policy, even at, you know, at that level, it's, it's something that, yeah, if you, if you leave things on the shelf and you pull them off later uh, without considering them, they need to be updated and they can be out of touch culturally. And, uh, you know, just for that reason, need a brushing up. And one final thing, and people might believe that this is happening because uh, anybody who is particularly interested in the broadcasting system and the telecom system may know that the commission, these has since 1997 been publishing monitoring reports, offering a wide range of statistics about the broadcasting and telecom systems. Well, it's interesting that, you know, our little group decided to see what was actually being measured. And so we looked at each of the tables and charts and infographics presented in all of the reports from 2008 on. And we picked 2008 because that was the year that former CRTC chairperson Conrad from Finkenstein ensured that the broadcasting and telecommunications reports would be presented in a single public document and also made sure that they were a little bit more thorough. However, of the three more than 3,000 tables, charts, graphics, et cetera, that have been published in those reports, and I'm talking 2008 to 2019, mm-hmm. there were only eight charts or figures or tables, if you will, eight out of 3,000 that presented data about what is actually being broadcast in Canadian radio and television. And I'm not asking for 
whether they broadcast a specific newscast. But surely, since the main thrust of Section 3 is to ensure that there is Canadian content, would it not be useful for Parliament to know how much Canadian content is actually being broadcast? How much news is Canadian? How much drama is Canadian? I can tell you for a fact that the CRTC collects those data, not only because when I worked at the CRTC, I had to analyze it, but also because it's part of the regulatory requirement that broadcasters have to report what it is they actually broadcast so that the commission can ensure that they are the meeting the requirements of the Section 3 broadcasting policy with respect to diversity in programming, balance in programming, and Canadian content. We need those things for our culture and for our society. We need news and information for democracy. Shouldn't we know what's actually being broadcast? Yeah, that seems shocking that the regulator isn't telling people what's on the airwaves when they claim the right and ability to, you know, say what should be on the air. And and they obviously exercise that very imperfectly, but at the very least, they should put the data out for everyone to look at, and they might even get some insights from academics or, you know, people like us that look at it in the public interest or perhaps even from the companies, who knows. But if it's collected at the public dime and it's not confidential, I mean, it's what's on the airwaves. It seems sensible to me to let us know, first of all, what's going on on the airwaves, and secondly, yeah, whether the licensees are actually living up to their to their obligations. It seems like a no-brainer that why would they keep that in... Yeah, in their back pocket unless ensure. they wanted to well unless they want to keep it in their back pocket unless they want to sort of put pressure on the com- the companies to do stuff without doing it in a public and open way which is both unfair to the companies and to the public i think the other point is about that is is not even to know what broadcasters are doing i'm not even suggesting for instance that the commission publish per station what's being broadcast. That would be terrific. But at least for the system, which is where Section 3 is directed, to please let us know what's happening. That's all. And why wouldn't that be happening? I have no idea. But let's think of another thing. Let's think of employment. Employment is actually something that Parliament raises in its broadcasting policy for Canada. Now, the CRTC does publish information about full-time jobs in Canadian radio, television, discretionary service, and distribution things like cable systems. However, it doesn't mention any of those data in its monitoring reports. And most people might be surprised to know that thousands of jobs have been lost in Canada's broadcasting sector. Now, yes, technology changes. I'm aware of that. However, almost every other part of the Canadian economy sees employment growing. It's odd to me that a sector that is regulated in the public interest is allowing jobs to melt away without ever asking in a renewal hearing, for instance, at the CBC, by the way, do you see your new programming services creating more employment opportunities for Canadians? Since Parliament made that an objective, surely it's something we would want to know. And the annual reports I mentioned on how the CRTC is actually implementing the objectives of Parliament's broadcasting policy are certainly, surely they're key to evaluating the CRTC's performance itself. 
After all, the Act states very clearly that the CRTC is created specifically to implement the broadcasting policy for Canada. Is that happening? We won't know until we actually see the data that the CRTC collect that can show us how the broadcasting policy is being implemented. Hmm. Well, it's certainly something to uh, raise. For example, if there ever were a hearing on how CRTC is doing, for example, uh, might be an issue you want to bring to parliamentarians. We have raised that, yes. This has been a deep, deep dive, but a very good dive on the odd structure of this decision, but then the actual, uh, I'll call it, effects or... Um, this is just a symptom of, of, of what might be a disease in the sense of the way the CRTC has been handling their their decision-making power or or skirting it or using it or not using it. And perhaps some, some things we can do while the Broadcasting Act is being reviewed in the fall. So I thank you for that and, and for coming on and explaining it to folks. And, and we will watch with some interest both the procedural outcome of, of this particular decision and, and the substantive issue if it gets reviewed in some other forum. Um, and we will also be uh, active in the fall at PIAC at least, and probably you too, Monica, um, to put our two cents worth in. But if, if people want to make their voice known, uh, there still is a chance in the fall and before then, if you want to write to the Heritage Minister uh, about broadcasting and CRTC and, and what you think of all of this because uh, we've got one one once in 30, 30, 30, 35 years chance to, to make a comment on broadcasting regulation reform in Canada. So I encourage people to do that and uh, we're going to leave it there. So thanks again, Monica. Uh, I don't have a told you so segment this time, except to say I'll probably have a couple of good ones next time and to thank our listeners. And um, we will see you again, probably in a couple of weeks uh, with some more, uh, some more fun uh, stuff on privacy. So thanks. And we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of We Fight For That. The Public Interest Advocacy Centre needs your help to keep making this show and to keep fighting for you. I'm John Lawford. See you next time for another round of consumer protection. 